I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 16. And before we go and walk through this, let me lead us in prayer. Father, we just bless you for the gift of this day and the gift of life. We bless you too for the word of God that uh, speaks to our hearts. We pray, Lord, as we gather together today that you would have your way with us and shape us and mold us to be ever more like Jesus. But most of all, Lord, as we talk about the Spirit, we ask for an anointing today to, to hear you and to be uh, drawn closer to you and to ultimately glorify you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, over the past two months, as we've been going through the book of Acts, uh, we've been watching a different testimony before the sermon. We have technological kind of problems today. Uh, You'll see it, but you couldn't hear it, so that's not going to work. But what we've seen during those videos are different stories of different ways that different people have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we've seen throughout all of these, sometimes God has very unusual kinds of ways to bring that about. The infamous Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon tells of a man who once went to church so he could listen to the singing, but he didn't want to hear the preaching. So when the pastor began to speak, the man put his fingers in his ears. But after a while, a big insect landed on his forehead, and so he had to pull his finger out of one of his ears. And just as he did, the pastor was reading Mark 4, 9, which says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. (laughs) Which got the man's attention, and he listened, and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ at the end of the service. (laughs) While many of us may have thinking, uh, when I hear in the past, these kind of things are coincidence. Uh, when these miracles happen. But the Bible tells us that these are not miracles. They are pure providence through the sovereign work of God, through his Holy Spirit. Spurgeon stated stated the same thing. He says, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, like coals without a fire. We are useless with the Holy Spirit. One of the main lessons, I hope, that we're learning throughout the book of Acts is not only how the birth uh, birth of the church came about by the filling of the Spirit, the expansion of the church was due to the powerful working of the Spirit. Throughout all the pages of Luke's record uh, recording in the first churches here, we see all through the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is always directing moving, empowering, mostly, most of the time the disciples. And the Holy Spirit plays a key role in the book of Acts, and it's also known among some circles as the book of the Holy Spirit rather than the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 55 times in this book, so that means God's trying to make a point. Um, in our text for today, we are going to see that God providentially saves people through the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit. 
Last week, we examined the conflict between Paul and Barnabas as they planned their second missionary journey. They both wanted to go to cities and regions that they had uh, first proclaimed in the gospel. They wanted to return to those places to strengthen the churches. However, they couldn't get in an agreement regarding John Mark, and ultimately they split. Tragically, two men who were foundational to the early church uh, let their passions go beyond their reason and love, but ultimately two missionary journeys began through this way. Um, Last week, at the end of our text, we read that they went through Syria and Susilia and strengthening the churches. And then Luke picks up that in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So the first time we see here that God providentially saves people through the gospel by the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit can help us choose the right people to do God's work. We see this in Paul's selection of a young man named Timothy to go with him. Timothy would have been in his late teens, early 20s at this point. He had already developed a good reputation in the church, we read. The fact that he's well-known and well-spoken of, both in his town and other towns, was kind of an added uh, support for Paul in taking him with him. In the New Testament in 2 Timothy, which is Paul's letter to Timothy, we read of Timothy's mother, Eunice, and the grandmother, who's Lois. And they were both Jewish women, women who had become believers in Jesus Christ, And although Timothy's father was a Greek, these women had taught Timothy the scriptures from his childhood. On Paul's first visit to Lystra, these women and young Timothy had come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's also then that Timothy had been present and watched Paul being stoned. Remember back in Acts 14. Timothy was there, which had a profound impression on his life. From that moment, he resolved to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. Paul saw Timothy's commitment, and so he asked him to join in this second missionary team. And this would be the start of a long, life-changing friendship between the two of them. While Luke does comment that Timothy's father is a Greek, he does not say that he's saved. Uh, His mother Eunice was a Jew, and so by Jewish custom, Timothy would be considered Jewish. And it's for this reason that Paul circumcised him. The Jews would not expect a Gentile to be circumcised, but a fellow Jew 
that was not uncircumcised, me, was uncircumcised would be a great, great offense to the Jewish faith. They would have considered him to be a traitor, worth stoning, and uh, Paul was strongly uh, pushing this to happen. Uh, some have been thinking and argue that Paul is not consistent in the way he's dealing with this circumcision issue. But Paul was against circumcision only in times when it was required of Gentiles and when it was a condition to be accepted by God. Paul wasn't against circumcising a Gentile in order to make him acceptable to the Jews so that the Jews would listen to them. And here again, we hear and see the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit at work. When, when God gives people like Paul uh, an understanding of the different strategies is how the gospel can go forward. You know, Paul understood these things, and Timothy's circumcision was foremost in that particular thing. Only the Holy, Holy Spirit can impart wisdom like that to us. We need to know the balance, the balance between uh, when do we yield for love, when do we stand for truth. It's a hard one quite often. I think we think it's easy, but we usually do it by reason or by our own logic. We see this in the spirit-empowered wisdom of Paul to remove any unnecessary offense in order to gain a hearing for the gospel. Uh, we need to remember, brothers and sisters, that the Christian life is not about us. The Christian life is not about our comfort. The Christian life is not about... Um, our preferences. The Christian life is about the purpose of our existence. The purpose of our life is about bringing glory to God. It's about telling other people about Jesus and about his character and what he has done and what he has declared his will to be and what he wants us to do when we live our lives here. We should not do anything that will block the gospel from clearly being declared and received. And that is foremost. That's our work here on earth. But while that's a highly significant point, we have to be caref careful at times. Because often people go about the business of assimilating themselves into non-Christian culture in order to win people to Christ. It's a dangerous move if you're not completely accountable. Too many professing Christians, Christians do exactly what that happens to them. They go and become like the non-Christians and so suddenly the witness is gone. And I've seen a lot of it. We, we also don't want to be legalistic, but it's a truth. It's a truth. When we conform ourselves to the image of the world and we live like the world, we lose it. We lose, we lose any kind of uh, accountability, uh, what do you call it? significance there. We might even declare the truth of Jesus. But if we do it in a worldly attitude, you know, with worldly priorities, it's going to be hard for non-Christians to believe what we say. True born-again, Holy Spirit-empowered followers of Jesus Christ are constantly in the process of being transformed by the ruin, renewing of your minds. Even for me, I would say, what happens to me sometimes, if I don't read a whole lot for a couple weeks, my mind begins to drift. Now you'd say, oh, what a wuss. <laughs> no, that's human, that's human nature. You begin to not be able to think. Not, nobody here without any kind of input stays on a straight line. 
we always start to wander. Also, true born-again Holy Spirit-empowered followers are constantly evaluating the culture around us. Two ways. How can we sneak in with the message or how can we keep ourselves from getting caught into that culture? It seems uh, the common perception in North American Christianity is that the gospel is about getting people saved from hell. That is a perversion of the gospel. Some use this to justify doing things ungodly, but it's a perversion of the gospel. The gospel's not fire insurance. It's a welcome secondary benefit, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is about salvation from sin. It's about surrendering our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's about that we might be made holy and blameless before God. It's about being accepted back to God and restored back to God under his authority in the kingdom of God so that we might be conformed to the image of his Son and live with him forever for his glory. We must always seek the Spirit's wisdom regarding cultural things and how we can share share the the gospel in that culture. Uh, Verses 4 and 5 again. As they went on their way through the cities... They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So Luke tells tells us here that this missionary team traveled throughout the region delivering the decisions that we read about last week. Under the Jerusalem decisions, which we saw, we affirmed two different things. Number one, that salvation is not by keeping the law of Moses, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And secondly, that Gentile believers, out of love and in consideration for the Jews, should not engage in things that were especially offensive to the Jews. And as a result of these things, it says, just these two things, the churches were strengthened. Two very primary things. It's always... It always strengthens the church to hear the the gospel affirmed. Amen? Wow. Amen? (laughs) That we are saved by grace, alone, through faith alone, in what Jesus provided for us on the cross. It also strengthens the church to walk in love, in submission to spiritual authority. These churches were, were not free to vote about the apostolic decisions. They didn't get a vote. They basically were joyfully and willfully submitting to it because it was the gospel. The aim behind the decisions was to show love and avoid offending people away from the gospel. God providentially saves people through the gospel by the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit and and that the Spirit can help us choose to do the people, to do the right work for God, and that he can give us strategies to proclaim the gospel. In verse 6, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so we hear that Paul and Silas here return to the city of Lystra. Paul adds Timothy to that missions team. And also what we see in these words is that Luke joins them too. And we see that by the pronoun us now. Now, pretty soon Luke, as he's going along, he's not, you know, third person or anything, second person, it's first person now. He's with them. We also see the Holy Spirit restricts teams to uh, those missionary teams to go to the uh, Asia with the gospel. And we're not told clearly how the Holy Spirit uh, told that to Paul. Uh, we're not told how, but we know that uh, the, the, Asia, the region of Asia was the place that he didn't want him to go. And so Paul and his team travel on to three other regions. And it says there that the spirit of Jesus would not let them to go there either. So two notes right here. First of all, when Luke writes Holy Spirit and Spirit of Jesus, he uses those interchangeably. It's not different. The, the triune God is three in one. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He has a personhood and a co-equal with the Father and the Son. Second, note Paul's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Paul was a, a pretty pragmatic guy. He, he made a lot of plans. He, remember in his letters, he's planning to do this and planning to do that. But he, he wanted to accomplish things, yet he was a sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And uh, it appears that Paul was heading west to new areas along a major trade route with all of these places. However, Paul uh, got to the, G, the region Phrygia. The Spirit would not let him preach. And we're told not specifically how he told him, but ultimately when it occurred, uh, he understood what happened. Paul paid attention when the vision came. Paul was living out in Proverbs 16.9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So how did Paul know which way to go? I mean, he's going all over the place. Our text tells us that the Spirit gave guidance through this vision. In several places in Acts, we find that God sends angels to direct people. In Acts 10, we read that Peter received a vision during the day. In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit directly communicated to the church leaders in Antioch in reference to ordaining Barnabas and Saul to the mission work. Here we see the Spirit come to Paul as a man of Macedonia, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And this is exactly the direction that Paul was waiting for. He and the rest of the team conclude from the vision that they're going to go, and they went. And we see again a principle here of the Holy Spirit in the power and of all these things is the Spirit leads us into the right opportunities in ministry. Does God still direct us through visions today? The answer is yes, he can. But we've got to be careful.
because there are all sorts of crazy visions and all sorts of crazy people <laughs> for all crazy reasons, most of them not according to God's word. But the Holy Spirit is not limited to visions to speak to us and give us guidance. He can give us guidance with a vision in the night or during a reading your Bible and you have a still, small voice that speaks to your heart or an idea that comes to you while you're having a conversation with somebody that you don't even know or by hearing a song during the worship or while you're taking a walk or maybe even during a, a sermon once in a while. The balance we need in hearing and getting guidance from the Spirit is on one hand not to quench the Spirit, but on the other hand to examine everything that, that brings before us. And Paul talks about this in First Thessalonians uh, when he says, Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. So an obstinate Apostle Paul could have plowed ahead to Asia against God's promptings. But the obedient apostle humbly obeyed God's uh, prompting and waited until the Spirit came to him in a vision. And then he went immediately. Never since then, the world's never been the same. That's why we're here. The second missionary journey began. This is it. The sovereign power of the Holy Spirit is the one who calls us to the right opportunities. Uh, verse 11. So setting sail for Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samarathi and the following day in Nepalus and from on there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. <clears throat> we remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. Come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us. In these words, we see that our God providentially saves people through the gospel by the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit in that the work of the Holy Spirit will almost always go beyond our expectations. Paul and his team travel across the Aegean Sea past an island and uh, heading towards the, the Macedonian port city of Nap Neapolis, it says. And from there, he traveled to the town of Philippi in Macedonia. So Philip's team then stayed in Philippi for a few days. But no fast Macedonian man materialized. And so on the Sabbath, Paul, as he normally did, sought out a synagogue, but there wasn't one in Philippi. And we know there probably wasn't one there because... Uh, you have to have 10 Jewish men to have a, a, a synagogue. If you had nine, you couldn't have it. So they not pretty much saved, you know. We don't have any, too many men saved in there, even in the Jewish way. So. so the missionary team then wanders down to the river, and they find a small group who are having uh, 
pray, prayer together. And Paul and his team sit down and explain the gospel to them. And the Lord opens the heart of a woman named Lydia and the hearts of those with her household. And as they responded, they surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now we see the providence of God's sovereign power in the spirit when we look closer at Lydia. Lydia was from a town of uh, Thyatira in Asia. Okay. We know that. We've seen that a few times. The town was noted among other commercial ventures to be uh, the town where expensive purple cloth was traded and made. And emperors and Roman senators and wealthy people used to buy these things because purple was an was a extravagant kind of showy color for people in those days. Lydia moved from Thyatira to Philippi to do business there. Now that's significant in that Paul would have preached in Lydia's hometown of Thyatira in Asia had not the Holy Spirit forbade him to do so. Instead, the Holy Spirit sent Lydia to move from Thyatira to Philippi through the vision of a Macedonian man, which is Philippi is in Macedonia. So he sent Paul to Philo, Philippi in Macedonia so that Paul could share the gospel with Lydia and that she and the others would come to faith in Jesus. So there's a reason, there's a reason that Paul was not allowed to go to Asia at that point because she wasn't there yet. Everything's just timed right out. <laughs> the Holy Spirit kept Paul from going to Thyatira to Asia through the vision so that Lydia would be there at the proper time. I suspect, though, too, that if it was Paul was asked if he intended to plant a church with a group of women rather than men, he'd probably say, no way. But God providentially saves people through his power. Um, the Macedonian man ended up being an Asian woman. So imagine the things God would do if we at Aerosmith all surrendered to the, to the Holy Spirit and was led in what we do in our church as we're trying to do mission. Imagine that. Amen. Father, we're, we're, uh, we're blessed to know that you're a God who had left us the Holy Spirit to guide us and to take us to the places we need to be. And thinking of Paul even here too, he was frustrated a number of times to where he should go, but ultimately when you sent him there, it didn't work out the way he thought, but it worked out to the way that you planned. So help us as your people, Lord, to know that uh, you, your Holy Spirit is with us to guide us, to protect us, to inform us, and most of all, Lord, uh, we need to help the way that we do share the gospel, making sure we're not offensive, not being legalistic, but being uh, spirit-led. So we pray for the days ahead of us, and we uh, bless you for being our God. We pray these things in your precious name. And all God's people said, Amen.